We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, September the 2nd, 2021. Today's show, I break down this weekend's game as the Gamecocks take on the Eastern Illinois Panthers in Shane Beamer's debut as South Carolina head coach as the 2021 football season gets underway. Guys, I break down everything, including a full breakdown of the Eastern Illinois Panthers. Also, we'll talk top storylines key matchups to watch as well as keys to the game as the Shane Beamer era gets underway Saturday night at williams Bryce Stadium. Guys, also we have listener questions and a fantastic conversation. Guys, a great interview. I know the term and the phrase legendary gets thrown around very loosely, but this is a legendary conversation. As former Gamecocks defensive line coach and friend of the show, Brad Lawing joined me actually at Tin Roof last week. And what a conversation it was, guys, by popular demand. We have now distributed the conversation and the interview on the podcast here on these airwaves. So, again, a fantastic conversation with Brad Lawing, one of the best to ever do it in Columbia. Guys, we got a packed show here on a Thursday, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention to the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics, and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host of the Spurs Up show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. I am fired up here on a Thursday because, folks, officially today, this Thursday, September the 2nd, 2021, is officially the first game day preview show of the 2021 football season. Guys, as we break down and preview the Gamecocks game this Saturday, 7 o'clock at Williams-Brice Stadium as the Shane Beamer era officially gets underway. Folks, just two days away until kickoff. I'm going to appreciate you all tuning in. Hope this finds you well, wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off. You're in class. Whatever you're doing, whatever it may be, guys, thank you again so much for the continued love and support, man. Appreciate you all. It's crazy that the preseason is winding down and winding down, and we're getting to the point where we're going from counting the days to counting the hours to getting to counting down the minutes until toe meets leather at williams Bryce Stadium this Saturday, guys. But again, appreciate your continued love and support, man. You guys continue to rock and roll with the content, everything we do. You guys have supported all throughout the preseason, all since we started counting down 100 days to kick off. And now, folks, it's almost here. It's almost here. We're almost going to get to enjoy. We almost have gotten to the point we're going to enjoy the fruits of our labors and enjoy kickoff and enjoy Carolina football together and this new era under head coach, Shane Beamer. It feels so good to say that, guys. We got a packed show. Like I said, we are breaking down this weekend's game, guys. Like I told you all, every single Thursday will be our full game preview show for the game the upcoming weekend. Before we get into that, though, guys, just a couple of quick reminders. We've had a ton of events going down this week. And again, I appreciate your love and support. Those who have showed up, those who have showed out, those who have continued to engage and ask questions and just support everything we're doing with the Spurs Up show. But I do want to remind you, i got a lot of stuff upcoming this weekend. First things first, tomorrow night at Hall's Chop House, downtown Columbia, off Main Street, across the street from the State House. My good friend Cox by 90 and I will be, be out there. A very similar setup to a couple of weeks ago when he and I were at Rita's on Folly Beach. We'll be down there five to seven, five to six. We'll do a little bit of a meet and greet, if you will, take questions from you guys. And then six to seven, we will be live doing a live kickoff show live from Hall's Chop House right outside on the patio. And if you cannot be there, we will be streaming it live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. You guys on the drill. I want to point that out also because we have about 15 or 20 reserve seats at Hall's on Friday night, tomorrow night, guys, if you are attending, if you can make it, I want to make sure you guys have a table reserved. Please shoot me a DM. Please let me know or shoot Cox by 90 a DM. Get in contact with one of us. We want to make sure that we put your names down so we can make sure we reserve that seating for you. Going to be a fantastic night, guys. Going to be a great time. Going to have some special guests stop by. And also, we have got one hell of a giveaway for tomorrow night, guys. We're giving away a $200 Halls gift card that can be used at any of their locations and any of the other places that they own, by the way, including Rita's. We're also giving away a piece from my good buddy at Apex Art and Design, the hit, the DJ Swearinger piece. We're also giving away other merch, other pieces. Guys, it's going to be the biggest, baddest giveaway we have ever done. So again, that's Halls Chop House tomorrow night, downtown, across the street from the State House, official kickoff show 
for the Gamecocks game against EIU. Be sure to come out to that and appreciate my guy Cox by 90 having me out there. Also, guys, for Saturday, for game day, just a quick reminder of what's going down. The TSUS tailgate will be taking place at Seawells. Seawells spots 93 to 96. Been talking to my buddies. They want to get out there super early. I mean, I think they might be out there by 11, but I can tell you this, we'll be out there all day long. I'll probably plan on getting out there around noon or so. And then three to four, we've got our official game day show, pregame game day show, if you will, live from Jay's Corner, three to four. So again, we'd love to have you guys swing by. Come on out to that. Drink a cold beer. Let's talk Gamecocks and let's have one hell of a time as we continue to count down the minutes, the seconds, if you will, until toe meets leather at williams Bryce Stadium and the Shane Beamer era gets underway. And on that note, folks, let's go ahead and dive into it. We're talking Eastern Illinois on this show, guys. And by the way, a quick reminder before we get going, I will not be giving a prediction on this show today. That will be on Fridays. On the Friday podcast, I will officially lock in my predictions for each and every single game. So tomorrow's podcast, I'll talk everything prediction for the game. But on this show, we are breaking down EIU and we are breaking down this game as a whole. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it again, guys. Gamecocks, Eastern Illinois, 7 o'clock kickoff at Williams-Brice Stadium, Saturday night. Under the lights, if you cannot be there, SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. And I know there's been a lot of people on social media posting about how to watch it and what you have to do, guys. Go ask them. Go follow them. It's SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. If you have those channels and you have a login, you should be good to go. But you definitely want to make sure before kickoff hits. So, again, 7 o'clock kickoff, SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. Plus, guys, the Gamecocks are a 42-and-a-half-point favorite in this ball game via oddshark.com. In the series history, of course, guys, this is the first meeting between the two schools. Guys, talking Eastern Illinois specifically, they are of the Ohio Valley Conference. Their head coach is Adam Cushing. They've actually already played a game this year. As many of you know, they are 0-1 overall, losing their first game to Indiana State by a score of 26-21. to And they did have a spring season, by the way. They went 1-5 in their spring season. So, again, 0-1 right now, though. They will enter this game looking to get back to 500 in the 2021 football season. Guys, let's move into top storylines. And, of course, the top storyline, the storyline of all storylines for this game at Willie B. The Shane Beamer era officially begins. The Shane Beamer era gets going officially Saturday night on the field. We will get our first true look at South Carolina football under the guidance of Shane Beamer. And guys, again, it's been fun, right? The honeymoon phase, everything in the preseason, all the good feelings and the good vibes and talking season and winning on the talking tour and all that. But this is where you truly begin to build the culture of your program between the white lines at Williams Bryce Stadium under the lights. And I am so intrigued and so interested. Again, I said this about the spring game, but even more so now, of course, to see what South kind of football, what does game day look like with Shane Beamer as head coach? And with a new era, with a new head coach, you've also got new coordinators, you've got new assistants, you've got new position coaches. And hey, none of these guys have coached at the Power 5 level in regards to your coordinators. Marcus Satterfield, it's his first game at South Carolina. Clayton White, 
his first game at South Carolina. So what do those guys look like? You know, it's funny, guys. Again, we've talked all preseason. You know, what type of coach is, is Shane Beamer going to be? What type of coach is Marcus Satterfield going to be? Are they going to be, um, you know, what type of coach is Clayton White going to be? Are they going to be more aggressive? Are they going to be conservative? Are they going to be this? They're going to be that. And I've seen people trying to make guesses and, oh, I think coach will do this. I think coach will do that. It's like, guys, we don't know. We don't know because, hey, this is going to be the first time for Shane Beamer, too. This is going to be the first time for, you know, him ever being a head coach and him ever going through game day in this position of course we know guys the emotions are going to be running extremely high it's going to be a packed out crowd the atmosphere the environment I know many of you are going to be in the building and you're going to be very very excited for kickoff but what a special night it sets up to be again many of you have asked me Chris if you could only go to one game this year just one what game would you go to and I say the first one no doubt. And, and again, I know it's not a high-profile matchup in regards to the opponent you're playing and, and uh, you know, what's on the line, et cetera, et cetera. But I truly do believe with the Shane Beamer era beginning, Saturday night has the potential to be very, very, very special. And it's one of those nights that it's only going to happen once, right? The first game of the Shane Beamer era is only going to happen once. It's only going to happen once. And I just think, I look at Saturday night as really a celebration of a new era beginning for South Carolina football. And, I, I, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to compare and contrast, uh, oh, this preseason or this season opener, it feels like this one or it feels like that one or it feels like that one. It's just kind of unique in its own way. I think Gamecock fans are just so excited to begin a new era, to have hope again, to have optimism again, and you're going to see that really come to a head and culminate on Saturday night, I think, with the excitement and the crowd and the vibe around game day. And then, of course, Shane Beamer leading his football team onto the field, out of the tunnel. It's going to be special. It's going to be a really, really cool time. And again, like I said, guys, the Shane Beamer era beginning at South Carolina, officially on the field Saturday night. It's going to be really, really, really cool. Guys, another top storyline, of course, and it kind of goes in line with the Shane Beamer era beginning. How about Williams-Brice Stadium and tailgating being back to full capacity? Guys, we are back. We are back from the, the season that was a season ago and how hectic. And you just think, guys, a year ago to the date, like I've told you guys many times, how can you not have perspective? after what we went through last year and what we've gone through in the last year and a half or so with all the uncertainty and all the turmoil and all the drama and all the adversity and just, just not knowing what was going to happen, what type of season we're going to have, were we going to have to you know, wear masks to games or were we going to have full capacity or was tailgating going to be normal, were we going to have Gamecock walk, were we going to have all the traditions we all know and love? We had no idea. So the fact we are getting to go to a game, and I told you guys this before, you know, it's crazy. We had football season last year, right? But in some ways, it really didn't feel like we did. You know, I thought back to last year, and it's like it, it almost feels like it's been like two years since football season. Because, yeah, we got it last year. We got games on the field, and, you know, I got to make content and do podcasts and and, uh, you know, go to a couple games even, but it just wasn't the same. It felt empty to a degree, especially, guys, speaking of the tailgating side of things. I remember specifically the first game against Tennessee. You know, my buddies were out there, and I walked out there to the tailgate lot or the tailgates or whatever. I walked out, then I was like, this just feels strange. It felt ominous. It felt 
it didn't feel right. And so to get that back truly, man, it feels like it's been so long. I mean, there's many of you, I'm sure, tuned in that you guys haven't even been to a sporting event since COVID hit. So for people, many Gamecock fans who missed out on the opportunity a season ago to go to the stadium and cheer on their team, and for many fans, that was the first season of Carolina football they had ever missed. Again, this is going to be, like I said, a really, really, really special night, and I just cannot wait to see the scene around Columbia as a whole, but the tailgates, you know, Seawells, of course, where we're going to be tailgating, Gamecock Park, the fairgrounds, everywhere. And then, of course, the scene inside Willie B., I mean, it's setting up to be probably the most raucous FCS environment, the most raucous SEC versus FCS team environment you have ever seen. Again, will it be sold out? I don't know. But it's going to be a really, really special night. And I know fans have been itching for so, so long to get back in the stadium. And you know that Gamecock fans are going to show out, both in the stadium and at the tailgate for this one on Saturday. All right, let's talk more on the field, guys. Again, again, another top storyline for me. We've been talking about it the last couple of days, but of course, you got to start with the quarterback and Zeb Noland getting the nod under center. What does Zeb give you? And I'll be curious to see this. How much do they really ask Zeb to do? You know, what is the game plan in regards to run versus pass? Because you look at it this way. I mean, I think we all agree this is a game South Carolina most certainly should win. They should have their way with the IU. They should be able to play a lot of guys. I look at this game as, you know, you're going to be able to kind of do whatever you want offensively. I truly believe that. Like, I think you're going to be able to run the football at will. I think if you do really want to pass, I think you can. How much, though, do they ask Zeb to do? Because you've heard Shane Beamer, you've heard Marcus Satterfield say, we're not asking him to go win the Heisman. We're not asking him to go win the SEC. We are asking him to run the offense. So what does running the offense look like, I guess? Again, Marcus Satterfield, we really don't have any idea what type of offense he's going to run. And we've said it all preseason, right? We feel really good that this is going to be a staff that plays their strengths and doesn't try to put a square peg in a round hole and they're going to do exactly what's necessary to score points and make big plays and get the job done. Well, what does that look like under Marcus Satterfield? Again, guys, like I told you, going in this first game, the quarterback conversation and the whole Zeb Nolan versus Jason Brown versus Colton Gothier, which of course culminated with Zeb Nolan being named starter on Tuesday and social media (laughs) reacting accordingly. But it's been a fun storyline. It, it's been something fun, especially for a con- content creator like myself to follow and, and to break down and the, the beauties and the banter, right? It's been fun. But realistically, we know Luke Doty's this team's starting quarterback. Luke Doty's QB1. He, and he will be back next week and will reassume his duties as the starting quarterback. But you're going to have to throw at some point, you think, right? I mean, you, you, you're want, you want to use this game against EIU to build some confidence. I would say, in the passing game. I mean, there's no question because the last thing you want to do is, I mean, you don't just want to run the ball 80 times and you throw five passes and then you go into ECU. And, I mean, you're not going to really be able to draw conclusions from this game anyways, but certainly you feel like if you can't make big plays in the passing game against EIU, what in the world is that going to mean for the rest of your season? So, Zeb Nolan, specifically him at the quarterback position, what do they ask him to do? And I think we're going to see guys multiple quarterbacks play. I think you're going to see Zeb Nolan. I think you're going to see Jason Brown. I think you're going to see Colton Gothier. You might have even see Connor Jordan, depending on how the game goes. But out of the gates, what does, quote-unquote, running the offense look like? And just exactly 
What do they ask Zeb Nolan to do outside of handing the football off to your great running backs that he has behind him? Speaking of those great running backs, guys, in my next top storyline, speaking of those backs, and, and I think you ask Carolina fans everywhere, who's the one guy you're most looking forward to seeing on Saturday against Eastern Illinois? Who is the guy you cannot wait to watch? One name comes up more than others, and that is the once five-star recruit, the highly touted Marshawn Lloyd, making his South Carolina debut, guys. And I can tell you this, I am fired up. I'm ecstatic to watch Marshawn Lloyd. After last year going down with the injury, you know, I thought he was going to be a major, the key piece, really, of the South Carolina offense. And Kevin Harris did his thing and, and had the season he had. And certainly Kevin Harris is going to be, you know, a huge part of your offense yet again. And he should be able to play, I believe. Um, I think that's what Beamer said. He should be able to go maybe. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how much they play him. But either way, Kevin Harris is going to be a huge part of your offense. But I think when you talk to Gamecock fans, there's just a little bit of a different glimmer in their eye when they speak on this guy. When they talk Marshawn Lloyd and his potential. Again, when you come into South Carolina, are you going to any school with the type of, with the type of recognition and the type of accolades and the type of hype? And the type of excitement, and we're talking about a guy that was the highest-rated running back prospect to step foot on campus since Marcus Lattimore did it in Columbia, South Carolina. So Marshawn Lloyd, what does he have up his sleeve for his South Carolina debut? I think uh, certainly, again, we all feel like this is a game where he should be able to have some success. We've heard great things about his explosiveness and what he's done in fall camp. And I know I speak for all of you when I say I cannot wait to see that on full display Saturday night at williams Price Stadium. I think, you know, you hear him talk, and he's very confident. He said this before. I think there will be moments he's going to make Gamecock fans go, wow. So, you know, we've been hearing about this guy for so long and the hype and what is he going to bring to the table and just how good can he be? Can he be one of the all-time greats at South Carolina? And for especially the journey he's been on, overcoming the adversity, dealing with the injury, going through the rehab, and now we finally get to see it play out on the field. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Sticking on the offense, another top storyline for me, guys. Like I said, you're not going to be able to draw conclusions necessarily from a game like this. I mean, if you go win by 70, for example, that's great and all. It'll be a fun night. It'll be awesome for fans. But that doesn't mean you're going to go win 10 games, right? That, that, that just that, that, that transitive property is not, does not equate, if you will. But you do need to use a game like this, in my opinion, to start to establish, okay, who are, who are the guys and who are our dudes? Who are our dudes we can depend on weekly to make big plays for us and step up and be consistent contributors? And specifically, the position unit, you know, we've been talking position unit previews and stuff like that. The position unit that is one of, if not arguably the greatest question mark on this football team during this season is the wide receiver position. And, of course, on Tuesday, the depth chart was released. We talked all about that on yesterday's show. But your starting receivers look like this. Jalen Brooks, Josh Van, and on Joyner. One of the things I'm going to be watching for very closely Saturday night, and I'm most intrigued to see, you have those guys, right? Out of those three or anyone else on the roster, does anyone just start to emerge themselves as the number one option at wide receiver? Because again, like I said, you're not drawing conclusions from Saturday night. Just because a guy goes out that has a great game on the outside, that doesn't mean he's going to be the next Alshon Jeffrey or Sidney Rice. But 
you can tell, right, when the number who you can tell the difference between the number one option and the number three or the number four or the number five, right? Is there a guy that sort of we see on Saturday on the outside and we say, oh, damn, he could be that dude. He could be our go-to guy on the outside. He can be the Shy Smith. He can be the Brian Edwards. He can be the Debo. He can be the Alshon. He can be the Sydney. whoever. He can be the Kenny McKinley. Is there a guy that starts to at least show some promising signs and emerge? Because that's going to be something to get to a bowl game, guys, to get to a six-win, God forbid, a seven-win season. You're going to have to have at least one guy step up on the outside. You don't have to be great at the wide receiver position. You don't. But through the spring game and through fall camp, you know, I haven't heard Beamer say anything in regards to, oh, this guy's our number one option. We feel confident in this guy. He's our number one option on the outside. We don't know. And, guys, it's been few and far between seasons we've come into where we didn't know who the number one option was at wide receiver. We had no idea. We're like, well, no. It, normally, you have that number one option already. You know who he is. He's already picked out, and you're depending on him all season long. So, is there a guy that at least in this game just begins to emerge and starts to maybe separate himself just a bit? Is there a guy that we look at and say, wow, he looks different than everybody else? Is it Brooks? Is it Van? Is it Joyner? Is it someone else on that roster? We'll have to wait and see. Moving to the defensive side, guys. A big storyline for me. We've been talking about defensive line all preseason, and for good reason. When you have the type of athletes they have from the Enigbares to the Strawns to the Birches to the Pickens, the Sandages to the, to the Boogie Huntleys to the Tonky Hemingways, the Jabari Ellises to you name it. You keep going down the list. I mean, there are tons of great athletes. To the Aaron Sterlings, there's tons of great athletes on this defensive line. And one of the most popular questions I'm getting right now going in this game is this. How many sacks will Gamecocks defensive line have on Saturday night? Because, again, I think we all know going in this one, South Carolina should really be able to have their way against EIU up front. I mean, again, for any of those, any of you that watched that game last weekend, I mean, you saw it, it, it's going to be a bit of a mismatch in the trenches. There's no doubt. But we've heard about it all preseason. We've heard about the hype. We've heard about how great the D-line is. Will this be a banner night for the defensive line? And just how many sacks will they get? How good will they be? How good will they be in stopping the run? Hey, this is a unit last year, again, against an all-SEC schedule, mind you, but gave up 195 yards per game on the ground. 195 yards per game on the ground. As good as they were a year ago. That's not good, guys. That was one of the worst in the SEC. You'd love to see the defensive line have a big debut, especially in a game like this where they should, you feel like, be able to dominate. People like J.J. and Jordan and Aaron off the edge, they should be able to wreak havoc. They should be able to be an auto Coons back pocket all night long. Could this be a banner night for the defensive line? Do we see some guys up front? This isn't like the wide receivers of the DBs. We know this cast of crew. We know this cast of characters. We know what this crew's got in store. Is this going to be just how good – Will the defensive line be Saturday night? And again, after everything we've heard, can they, I guess I would say, sort of have a show? Can they put on a show for the Gamecocks faithful and sort of say, hey, we're going to set the tone for this 2021 season that the defensive line is going to be here week after week after week. We've got big-time, legit NFL type of talent, and we are not going anywhere. We're going to be here all season long. It's going to start with the, the defensive line up front, for that defense, we all know that. We'll be curious to see how they perform on Saturday night. Now, the top storyline, guys, again, on the defensive side, the newcomers in the secondary, guys. And really, you could just say the newcomers on the defense as a whole, but the secondary. 
the secondary being a major, major question mark. I'd argue it's probably the biggest question mark on this entire Gamecocks football team. And you got a lot of newcomers. And when you looked at that depth chart, guys like David Spalding, Carlins Platel, Marcellus Dial, uh, you know, Tyrese Ross, host of others that are going to be playing. And they're going to be playing significant snaps. Some of them are going to be starting. Again, this is not an SEC test. You're not going to be able to draw conclusions. Your defense should be able to have a lot of success. This should be a fun night for all parties involved. This really should. And this should be a night that your defense can also develop some confidence. We've been talking a lot about offense. What about your defense? Your defense should be able to force some turnovers, gain confidence, build momentum, and have something to feel good about. But which newcomer stands out? Which of these newcomers really impress us in week one and emerge? Like I said, can't draw conclusions, but which of these dudes start to show, you know, you're like, man, that guy's a big-time player. That guy's a legit player. And just the overall play of the secondary, I think, is something fans really want to see because we've been hearing all preseason, you know, from yours truly included about the secondary is no good and you have this issue, you have that issue. You know, I don't think anybody believes the secondary is going to be a strength by any means, but can we at least see in week one a sign of promise and hope? Because, again, if you can't do it in week one against EIU, if you struggle in any facet, against EIU, that's not going to be promising for the outlook of this season in a game where you really feel like you should be able to dominate and you're going to out-athlete this crew from top to bottom. So again, those newcomers in the secondary, some of these guys, and Shane Bieber mentioned it, their first time ever playing in a game at Williams-Brice, their first time ever playing in front of 80,000 people. How do they perform? What type of performance can they put on? Can they build that early momentum and gain confidence, especially going into a pivotal game in week two where ECU is going to be a team that is going to throw the ball, that is going to test the secondary, truly test them. So you're going to want all the confidence and all the good feelings and all the good vibes going into that one as you can get in this week one matchup against the Panthers. Final top storyline for me, guys. And speaking of the secondary and first times being out at Williams-Brice Stadium, uh, and this applies to everyone. This applies to Shane Beamer. This applies to the coordinators. This applies to everyone involved. Like I said, guys, the Shane Beamer era is beginning, a brand new era. And there are a lot of people making a lot of firsts, a lot of first debuts, a lot of first times for a lot of people. And we already know that it's just like any other sport, right? And I talked to Alex McGrath about this, but in, in opening days, in season openers, in the first games of the season, right? It's very easy to let the emotions sort of get to you and to have those first game jitters, if you will. You know, Shane Beaver made the point the other day that the, the normal, typical coach speak thing is to say, you know, that a team makes its greatest improvement from week one to week two of the season. But it is a true thing because the first game, as Shane Beaver pointed out, you don't have a preseason. You don't have a preseason scrimmage you can, you know, against another team, for example, that you can refer to and say, we need to fix this, this, and this. Your first action against someone else is for real. It is for real game action. So my question is this, and what I'll be looking for, are there any first game jitters? You know, I don't expect South Carolina to be a well-oiled machine in week one necessarily. Even with the opponent, even with, you know, we feel how this game sets up for South Carolina, it should be very, very favorable. It is the first game of the season. But can the Gamecocks at least m limit the 
silly penalties, the procedure issues, you know, lining up incorrectly, just those things that you see happen in the first week of the season that normally are ironed out by week three or four that uh, are just fundamental things. So do we see any sense of first game jitters against Shane Beamer saying in his presser that, you know, he's like, I could give you this coach speak answer that this is just any other game. He's like, that's bull crap. It ain't just any other game. This is a huge game. This is a huge game. So do we see any first game jitters? They play any part in the ball game, at least early in the ball game. And will South going to be able to handle their emotions because it's going to be a very emotional night going to be a very emotional day, but those guys on the field have to go play football. You got to go actually play, right? After that first snap, that first hit, it's football after that. It don't even matter. It don't matter who the opponent is across from you. I've had many former players that tell me, you get that first hit in you, hey, we're locked in now. It's just football. I don't care what logo you're wearing. I don't care what the crowd looks like. This is a football game. But first game jitters. Can Sal kind of play a, for the most part, clean football game? in week one of the 2021 football season. All right, guys, let's move into key matchups to watch for Saturday night's game against the Eastern Illinois Panthers. And we will start up front on the line of scrimmage with the Gamecocks defensive line. And the guy that J.J. Nibari will be chasing down all night long, I've got my first key matchup, defensive lineman J.J. Nibari against quarterback Otto Coons, the freshman quarterback for the Panthers. And again, Coons, a guy I think they're pretty high on. Um, with East Illinois, you look at his stats from week one, 14 to 29. He did have two interceptions, but he threw for 253 yards. He was sacked five times, guys. He was sacked five times in that game. If Indiana State's defensive line is sacking Otto Coons five times, what on God's green earth are J.J. Nigbari and Birch and Pickens and Sandage and, and Strawn and Sterling. What are those guys going to do to Otto Coons? But specifically Nigbari, you know, this is a guy that did not have to come back, right? He didn't have to come back to South Carolina. He could be at a training camp and getting ready for an NFL season right now. But he chose to come back to South Carolina. He chose to perfect his craft. He chose to be, you know, he's a preseason first teamer, second teamer at worst on most preseason lists. My question is, can J.J. Nigbari just how much of, Hell, can he he make life for Otto Coons on Saturday night? Because Otto Coons, I expect him to have to be running around for his life. I'll be very curious to see um, how their head coach, Adam Cushing, their offensive coordinator, how do they scheme this thing up? Because they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to do something. I mean, again, you surrender five sacks to Indiana State, and then you got to take on South Carolina's defensive line. So the Gamecocks' defensive success this season, it is going to start with the defensive line, and them getting in the face of the quarterback, whoever they are playing, and it starts with a guy like J.J. Nibari, and I see this game on Saturday night being no different. So, again, my first key matchup, defensive lineman J.J. Nibari against quarterback Otto Coons. Guys, let's move to the other side of the ball for South Carolina. And like I told you guys, Seb Nolan, Jason Brown, Colton Gothier, what do the quarterbacks do on Saturday night? Yes, that's all fine and dandy. We all love to talk quarterbacks, but this is a football team. It is going to start offensively with the run game. This is a team that's going to lean on the run game. And I don't really know how much Kevin Harris is going to play on Saturday if he plays at all. I think Marshawn Lloyd will be the feature back in this one. So my second key matchup, running back Marshawn Lloyd against linebacker Jason 
Johnson. Johnson, their leading returning tackler from, tackler from the spring, 66 tackles, six tackles for loss in their spring season. And, of course, guys, I don't have to really tell you guys much about Marshawn Lloyd because you know who Marshawn Lloyd is at this point. And Jason Johnson, a nice player for them in the middle. But I expect South Carolina to try to run the football and establish the run early in this one. I think it's going to be Marshawn Lloyd that is going to be taking the first snap for the game. And I think he's going to be taking a lot of the snaps in the football game. Now, he's not the only one. We're going to see Jaquandre White. We're going to see Rashad Amos. We're probably going to see Juju McDowell. We might even see somebody like Nathan Harris Wayne. You never know, depending on how the game goes. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see a little bit of Kevin Harris. But whoever is in the backfield, you know, making that man miss. I feel like, you know, we all feel South Carolina should be able to, to push the EIU line around. But there's going to be times you got to make a guy miss. And Marshawn Lloyd, he's been as advertised to make a guy miss. Jason Johnson will be that dude waiting for him in the middle of the defense on the outside, wherever he is, he's going to be, he's going to be shadowing him. Can Marshawn Lloyd win that matchup more often than not? Because again, when you put a hat on a hat, you get at that second level to really break a big play and a bust a game like this open. You got to get past a guy like Jason Johnson. So again, for that reason, my second key matchup running back Marshawn Lloyd against linebacker, Jason Johnson. Guys, my final key matchup to watch in this one, like I said, the secondary, Arguably the biggest question mark on the Gamecocks football team, certainly on the defense, but arguably the biggest question mark on this football team entering the 2021 football season. And, you know, the Gamecocks got a huge boost over the last week or so. when We heard and found out that Cam Smith should be good to go in this one against EIU. And that's a good thing because EIU features a pretty solid wide receiver who had a big game in week one. So, again, guys, my final key matchup, defensive back Cam Smith against wide receiver Tyler Ringwood for the Panthers. Ringwood, guys, a UNC Charlotte transfer, so he is a veteran player, had five catches for 116 yards in their game Saturday against Indiana State. You've got to think he is going to be Otto Kuhn's go-to guy. And, again, I know it's EIU. You're going to out-athlete them top to bottom every single position. But you really need to see the secondary show you something in this football game. You need to see a guy like Cam Smith. Is he 110%? I think if he wasn't, he wouldn't be playing. But whether it's Cam Smith, where it's Mar- whether it's Marcella Style, whether it's Darius Rush, or whoever's on the outside, Dominic Hill, I don't care who it is. You need to see South Carolina's defensive backs win more battles than they lose in this one. And a guy like Tyler Ringwood, if you're not careful, again, he's played at UNC Charlotte. He's played some good football, had a really good game Saturday. He's probably a guy that can burn you. He's probably a guy that can make you pay if you're not disciplined. You know, we've seen a lot of breakdowns and coverages over the last couple of years when it comes to Gamecocks defense. So, again, I want to see something out of Cam Smith. I want to see something from the secondary. So, again, my final key matchup to watch for in the passing game and the Gamecocks defense of it, defensive back Cam Smith, against the EIU wide receiver in the UNC Charlotte transfer, Tyler Ringwood. All right, guys, let's move into our keys to the game for Saturday's game when the Gamecocks take on the Panthers. Three keys to the game, and I'll start with my first one, guys. Like I said, I've mentioned guys like J.J. Nibari. I haven't talked a lot about South Carolina's offensive line. Of course, four of five starters returning, over 80 career starts, and you feel like that's going to be a unit you truly do lean on in this 2021 football season. My first key to the game, guys, is this. In a game like this, we feel like South Carolina should be able to do whatever they want to do. You feel like you're going to out-athlete EIU, but really where you should be able to win and win often and 
direct this game in whatever direction you want it to go to is in the trenches. It's in the trenches. You can kill the will and spirit of an opponent if you can dominate them and do whatever you want to them in the trenches. So, again, my first key to the game for South Carolina, dominate the trenches. And I didn't put this second part, but I would say dominate dominate the trenches from the opening whistle. Do it immediately. Again, there's no excuse. You have the athletes. You have the bodies. You're bigger than them. You're quicker than them. You're more athletic than them. There's no reason why you should not be able to push EIU around. So, again, my first key to the game, let your athletes be athletes up front. Go make big plays up front. Impose your will on the opponent and dominate the trenches. My second key to the game, and, guys, I touched on this earlier when I talked about the first game jitters and, and uh, you know, as far as um, procedural issues and pre-snap penalties and all that stuff, Guys, again, we all agree there aren't going to be many folks, if any, out there picking uh, EIU to beat South Carolina, right? I don't, I don't think anyone with half a brain is going to be doing that. Again, the Gamecocks a 42-and-a-half-point favorite. But in a game like this, the only way that this game is uncomfortably close for South Carolina fans is if you go out there and you play sloppy and you put the football on the ground and you turn it over and you're doing stupid stuff and you're committing stupid fouls and stupid penalties and just playing bad football. Simply put, guys, if you play a clean game and you execute the fundamentals, it's going to be a fun night for you at williams Price Stadium. So, again, my second key to the game, guys, simply put, execute the fundamentals. Week one, it's week one for everyone. I would say less is more in this situation. You're not playing a Georgia. You're not playing a UNC. You're not playing a Tennessee where you don't need to do more than you're capable of. Stick to the game plan. Don't be a hero, whether it be on offense, defense, special teams. Control what you can control and just simply put, execute. Stick to the fundamentals you've been working on all preseason camp. Execute the game plan, exactly what Shane Beamer and Satterfield and Clayton White and Pete Limbo call. And I think if the Gamecocks do that and you just simply play a clean football game fundamentally, it's going to be a really, really fun night for you. And you're going to look up at that scoreboard and say, yeah, that was a hell of a debut for the Shane Beamer era. So again, my second key to the game, execute the fundamentals. My final key to Saturday night's game as the Gamecocks take on the Eastern Illinois Panthers in Shane Beamer's debut as South Carolina head coach. Like I said, this sort of feeds off the fundamentals point, the previous key, and it sort of also feeds off the jitters. But again, like I told you guys, we've all felt the emotions since Shane Beamer got hired, and he has absolutely crushed the preseason. The honeymoon phase has been unlike anything I've ever experienced. Talking season, Shane Beamer won that. We've seen him crush in recruiting. The the morale of Gamecock Nation is at an all-time high, right? I think you'd all agree out there. There's going to be a lot of emotion flying around leading up into this football game. From the fans mainly, right? From the tailgate to to Gamecock walk, and then we're going to get in there, and it's going to be 2001, and the team's going to run, and it's going to be crazy, right? It's going to be crazy. I mean, truly, I, I, I think it's going to be a very, very special day. And one of those that we all remember, all Gamecock fans remember. Whether you're at the game or you're watching on TV, it's going to be a very, very special night. Okay? But again, like I said earlier, when you get bopped, you get hit in the mouth, all of a sudden it's football. And so what I want to see South going to do 
Because it's emotional for the players, too. It's emotional for the coaches. I mean, Shane Beamer has said so. This isn't just another normal game. He said, that's bull crap. I'm not going to give you that coach speak. And he's, he's stated multiple times how emotional he's going to be running out of the tunnel for 2001. He, he stated that many, many times. But for me, what I want to see, I want to see this football team control their emotions. And that's, that's my third and final key to the game, guys. Control the emotions, right? Because, listen, fans can go crazy. Fans can be emotional. Fans can overreact. They can not react. They can do whatever. But you on the field of play, you know, I thought we saw way too often in the previous regime, South Carolina would come out, you know, for a much bigger game than this, but they, they'd almost sort of, they would let the emotions get to them both positively and negatively. You saw the Gamecocks get way, way, way too high and way, way, way too low. And to be successful in any walk of life, but sports as well, I think it's important to stay in the middle. Be even keel. Play the game all the time like it's zero to zero. Who gives a damn what the score is? Who can block out the outside noise, go execute, go do what you've been taught, go do exactly what the coaches are telling you, trust they've given you the best game plan, and go win. And that's it. It can be easy to get carried away in week one, especially when you're opening up a brand new era with a brand new head coach. But I want to see a football team that is composed. Again, I think that's going to show us that, hey, this is a well-coached football team. They're disciplined. This is a disciplined football team, right? Nobody wants to see South Carolina go out there and commit stupid penalties and excessive celebration. You know, we, we saw that way too often with the previous regime. And I'm not trying to be the old guy in the room and be, you know, be, be the grumpy guy. And, oh, I don't want to see, I don't want to see players celebrate. No, they don't need to do it. But, you know, I, I want to see a football team that is composed, that knows how, that looks mature that can handle its emotions, that can go out, simply execute the game plan, a football team that, yes, while they're excited, you should be excited. If you're not, you need to check your polls. But while they're excited, they expect to win. They know they have a job to do. They go out and they execute. And then we can all celebrate and kiss and cheer and smile after the game is over and the task is completed. So, again, my three keys to the game. Number one, dominate the trenches. Number two, execute the fundamentals. And number three, control your emotions. All right, guys, let's move to your listener questions. We do have a few. Uh, Just John FB says his prediction is 100 to 10. Hashtag Cox by 90. Krusty Andy says, no question. Just thank you for the psych and getting us through the offseason. Krusty Andy, thank you, my friend, for the love and support through the preseason. I truly do appreciate it. Uh, E-Cart 08, is Zeb Nolan the second coming of Colin Hill? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this e cards No, Zeb is simply filling in until Luke Doty gets back. The situation last year, totally different. You got to be able to separate the two. It's a completely different situation. So no, the answer is no. Luke Patch underscore 95, 42 and a half points is a lot. Do we cover? Well, if you listen to yesterday's show, I think yes, South kind of does. And again, I guess that kind of spoils my prediction for tomorrow. I will lock in my official prediction tomorrow. But um uh, you know, really with that spread, if you say South Carolina is going to cover it, you are banking on the Gamecocks' backups being just as good, if not better, than the starters when they come in. You're, you're banking on them executing and scoring touchdowns as well because I don't think Shane Beamer is going to leave the starters in there until it's 42 to nothing. I, I don't see that. Um, so that's what you're banking on. You're also banking on that Marcus Satterfield and Shane Beamer and company are going to keep their foot on the gas pedal, which I think they will. I think they will do that. So, um, again, it <laughs> – It'd be a no play for me, Luke, to be totally honest with you. But if I had to pick one, I would say South Carolina, South Carolina will cover. And that's why it was my best bet on yesterday's show. Uh, Austin G underscore 45, who makes the biggest impact on game one? 
That's a great question. Um, I will say Marshawn Lloyd. I, I just think the running back is going to have a fantastic night. I'd be shocked if the Gamecocks rush for less than 200 yards. I'd be, I'd be absolutely floored if they rush for 200 yards. I think 250 or 300 is more likely. And I think Marshawn Lloyd, I think he's going to have a very, very big night for the Gamecocks. I think he wants to make a point in his debut after missing last year, coming back from the injury. I think he wants to make a point that, hey, this is, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to be the guy. I'm ready to be an impact player, an all-conference, all-American type of dude. I think Marshawn Lloyd shows out. I think he balls out on Saturday night. Um, Brennan underscore Smith 47. Who will score the first touchdown of the season for the Gamecocks? Now, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to go, hmm. See, the typical answer would be Marshawn Lloyd runs it in. But normally, it's like some wacky touchdown. I'm going to go the carry-on joiner in a feel-good story scores the first touchdown of the season. Now, I don't know if it's a passing touchdown. I don't know if it'll be a wildcat. I don't know if it'll be a pass. I don't know if it what it'll I don't know what it'll be. I don't know how it'll happen. I'm gonna go out on a limb though. I'm gonna say Dak Joyner, if it's not Dak Joyner, I think it'll be Jaheim Bell with the first touchdown. So one of those two guys, again, I know that's not a great answer. I should probably just pick one. I'm gonna go one of those two guys though. Dak Joyner or Jaheim Bell will score the first touchdown of the 2021 football season. Guys, this has been a blast, by the way. Thank you so much for all the questions, guys, the engagement. Of course, that number, by the way, 843-790-3377. I'll go ahead and promote that right now, guys. After the game, that is the number to call in because, once again, we will have listener questions and voicemails to play on the podcast. So again, we'd love to hear from you all after the game, during the game, whatever it might be. But again, thank you all so much for continuing to engage, to be locked in, leaving your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Like I said, guys, the beauty is in the banter. And I truly, truly do appreciate it, guys. We're not done yet, but that is going to do it for our game preview of EIU. But we're not done yet here on a Thursday. We have got a legendary, and I mean a legendary conversation with one of the best to ever do it in Gamecocks football history. And he's a friend of the show, by the way. And every conversation I've had with this man has been insane. It's been incredible, right? But this last one, if you were not at Tin Roof, and if you did not tune in to the live stream from Tin Roof last week, folks, you missed a treat. And again, I know the word legendary gets tossed around, but Brad Lawing, the thing I love about Coach Lawing, he does not hold back. He is very, very honest. And in many of the things we talked about, he did not hold back. This is an insane conversation, a legendary conversation. And again, I appreciate Coach Lawing, his friendship, his kindness, being open to coming out to Tin Roof and, and, and taking part in the show. And guys, I'm telling you right now, you are going to thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy this conversation. But again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Like I said, guys, stay tuned tomorrow on tomorrow's podcast. I will officially lock in my prediction for Saturday's game as the Gamecocks take on EIU and the Shane Beamer era begins in Columbia, South Carolina. But until then, guys, enjoy this conversation. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Thursday and enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive line coach Brad Lawing. Former Gamecocks defensive line coach, Brad Lowing. Coach Lowing, let's give it up for Coach Lowing. How about it? 
Coach, great to have you. Before we get going, Coach, I've actually got a surprise for you. Okay, I got a bit of a surprise. Um, I'm very excited to give this to you. Hold on one second. We got a surprise for Coach Lowing. It's in my bag here. So obviously, I think I know who your favorite player is at this point, Mr. Uh, DJ Swearinger. I love him. I love DJ. I wanted to present this to you right here, the, awesome. uh, the piece from the studio. I know when you came by, you said you really enjoyed that. If you guys can't see it, it's, it's actually the piece we gave away last week, a little bit smaller version. So uh, <laughs> a little bit smaller version. But uh, my good friend at Apex Art and Design, My good friend Jeremy Smith, Apex Art and Design, hand drew that as the hit against Clemson in 2012. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to give that to you. Maybe you put, that, put that somewhere in your man cave. So. I will. I'd recruited DJ <laughs> and, uh, at Greenwood. And on that play right there, I'm probably not far behind DJ right there because <laughs> I knew once he cold cocked that guy and, it, and he went out there and did his, what they call it, MMC, MMA or whatever, MMC. And, Mm. I said, he's getting ready to get a penalty. And I started after him, and Coach, Coach Spurrier just grabbed me by the shoulder. He said, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and it was. And that, that hit has had as much to do with anything winning that game. Yeah. And you talked about when you recruited DJ. We'll, we'll talk about DJ for a bit because such a legendary Gamecock and, and a guy that, you know, fans still look at now. Is, you know, it's crazy. Obviously, we're sitting here at Tin Roof, and I, I joked around with the Tin Roof guys about uh, the, 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 uh, the T-shirt I have. That is uh, free Jungle Boy after his hit in the UAB game and whatever. He's, he's still a legend around these parts. But his recruiting trip, and you talked about recruiting and what he said to Dabo Sweeney. Tell us about that recruiting trip again because that's one of like the most legendary things I've ever heard of. Uh, talking about DJs? Yeah, DJs. DJs recruit, recruitment. And I know he talked about what he said to Dabo. I don't know if he told you this, actually. That, that's no, when I didn't. talked to him directly. Yes, yeah. So DJ told me that uh, – you know, you guys obviously recruited him. It was Tennessee and South Carolina, and he had committed to South Carolina. And Clemson came in really, really late, you know, him being a guy from up there. They came in really late. And I believe maybe Dabo had just gotten the job or something like that, but they came to his high school, and he brought the defensive coordinator with him. And, and uh, they, they're trying to recruit him. And, and DJ just, just looked at him and said, Coach, I'm committed to South Carolina, and I promise you I'm going to beat you all four years I'm there. And he did. And, <laughs> and he did. And he did. He did. No, great stuff. Coach, how you been, man? It's great to have you. Good. Good. Just – you know, all this new COVID stuff, you kind of got to look out for. And uh, so my wife, she's, she decided to go shopping around town. She, <laughs> she was going to come it. in here, and she said, she said I'm still going to go shopping right Love now. Love it. Love it. So, well, Coach, uh, it's it's great to have you again, like I said. Man, I know we, we've we've chatted a couple of times in the studio, but it's always a pleasure, obviously, to talk with you. And, of course, man, we're sitting here 10 days away from kickoff, so I want to talk about this season and, you know, obviously the, the, the season that's going to, you know, going to be in just a bit. But the guys are going through fall camp right now and the dog days of August, if you will. And I know you were coaching back when, like, two-a-days was still a thing. I know guys today are very happy that that's not, yeah. not something that's happening anymore. Um, just talk about, though, what those coaches, players, everything else are going through during fall camp because I, I know we're anxious, we're eager for kickoff, we're ready to go. But the players are, too, because the, and the coaches especially because the schedule right now, I mean, it yeah. is – to the time you wake up, the time you go to sleep, they are eat, eating, breathing, sleeping, everything, football. And, and, and I'm not old. I'm only 64. But when I first – so when I was in college, we had three-a-days. Three-a-days. Yeah, we practiced go early in the morning. And then uh, – and that was uh, like shells, you know, shoulder pads and thigh pads, whatever. And then in the afternoon, we scrimmaged every afternoon. Every day was a scrimmage. Mm. And, I, of course, that was full gear. And then in the evening – 
and I was a linebacker, so I was on all the special teams. But in the evening, you did, you know, helmets and shorts, and you, they ran you to death doing all the special teams. So I used to tell kids about that, and they couldn't believe it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's three times a day, but during two days, and of course, the coaches are more efficient right now because of the equipment and the technology. But uh, the main thing is that you want to make sure that you get as much work you can get done without losing your players the cramps, things like that. Because, I mean, if a kid cramps up, I mean, you may lose him for a whole week and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. And so, uh, you know, I've had that, that right there, the medical part of it is something that, that you have to really pay a lot of attention to. But two-a-days, again, you do a lot of walkthroughs. You do a lot of, you know, preparation and meetings. So when you hit the field, you don't have to be out there for two and a half hours. You can go out there for an hour and 45 minutes and, and everything's fast. And that's the one thing, you know, we practice different than the way we used to. But everything is fast and you teach kids the pace of how to play. Right. And, but it's, you know, you, you've got to do that. Otherwise, especially in South Carolina, I mean, the heat you have here. <laughs> and uh, I had a friend of mine, George Perlis, he recently passed away. George was the head coach at Michigan State for a lot of years. And uh, George was the head coach at Michigan State when they played Florida State in Tallahassee. Mm. And he, uh, he told one of his assistants when they came back out in the third quarter, he said, geez, he said, it's too hot to even damn coach it in this weather, <laughs> much less play in it. And he was right. You know, right. I mean, the weather you have in the southeast is, is tough, and uh, especially here in Columbia. There's a reason they put Fort Jackson over there. I always told people that. You know, it's a – it's, it's hot. It's hot and it's humid. And you just, you've got to make sure you're used to it because you're going to play in it. And uh, Of course, I always thought that was a great reason for South Carolina to play night games was to get away from that heat. But uh, if you play enough afternoon games, and of course, anytime you can get a team like in South Carolina can get a Tennessee or Kentucky, you know, for a noon game, that's our advantage here. I mean, big time because it's so you're saying we should be pulling for noon games is what you're saying. When Against, you, like, Kentucky week five, we should hope that's a noon game. When you play the right team. Because I'm going to tell you, I mean, <laughs> heat it up, you know. <laughs> heat it up because them old boys that come to third quarter, they're, they're going to be struggling now. Right. They're gonna, and, and, again, I've always said this about substitution. You know, skill kids, it doesn't affect as much. And if a skill kid gets tired – you can take him to the sideline, fill him back up with gas, and he's good to go. <laughs> a big kid, you better have a great rotation of how you're going to do things because when the big kid runs out of gas, they're done. You can't fill them back up with gas. I mean, there's nothing left. And if you don't have enough depth, if you haven't had a great rotation, then you're going to be in trouble in the fourth quarter. That's just the way it is, you know, in the southeast and uh, or all over the south. But, uh that's all, you know, those big kids are different, and that's what I always – every Thursday night I would set my rotation for how I was going to play kids, and I always tried to have a core group of about ten guys that I was going to use. Some of them may have played five or six plays. Some of them were going to play ten or fifteen plays. Some of them, you know, 30, 35 plays. But hopefully I never had to ask anybody to play more than 35 or 40 plays because, yeah. I mean, they, you can't do it at, you know, full speed level. I mean, you look at the NFL, I mean, those guys – they don't play but about 50-some plays a game on each side of the ball. 
and when you get in the heat down here, and then if you play in an away game on turf, you know, I, mean, I think when I first came here, we had turf. And, you know, it, was, it what it was, was yeah. some, it was that concrete out there with the dang carpet laid over top of it. But my point is, right. you know, turf is 15, 20 degrees warmer, and you just, you're going to lose kids. And then you're not playing with your best players come the fourth quarter. And you mentioned the rotation, and I was looking back at, again, your tenure at South Gunn, in case anybody forgot, 1989 to 1998, and then returned 2006 to 2012. Same school, two very different stints, especially when you talk on the field, level of success. But I was just thinking back when you were talking defensive line rotation and having nine, ten bodies. And we talk about recruiting, and fans focus on getting the, the big four stars and the big five stars. But that's why you really recruit is to have that depth to have a rotation. Because I think back to 10, 11, 12, when you were here coaching those defensive lines, I mean, you guys had – I mean, just – it wasn't just those front four. It was the next four and then the next right. four, and it was just that depth you guys had. I mean, I remember we were playing Citadel one year, and the game's over. We've already beat them. And I took uh, Clowney out of the game. He's sitting there standing beside me. And Coach Spurrier came over. He said, What's he doing staying in here? I go, he's not out there playing. I said, Coach, I said, he's done. <laughs> he's done. All he's going to do is go out there and get hurt, mm. you know, because he, he was he was done. And, but you've got to rotate guys, and and that's why you do recruit depth. Sometimes you may play with a lesser player, but a lesser player in the fourth quarter has got a, again, I use the term a full tank of gas. He can play at a higher level than somebody that's just saying, you know, they're done. Mm. And so, again, having a rotation – I always thought the defensive line, the linebacker was very important. And I think at receiver, you got to have a good rotation because yeah. those guys are running all over the place. Right. You know, we get you get a lot of letters from fans over the years. And one of the best letters I've ever – I remember when Sparky was here, we had Robert Brooks, one of my receivers. I think a lot of people here remember Robert Brooks. He's one of the all-time great receivers, yeah. played for the Packers for a long time, Lambeau Leaf, all that. But uh, there was a fan that wrote Sparky a letter, and he would you, you never paid much attention to that stuff because most <laughs> time they're guys that they're, they're high school kids writing to you. And uh, the guy said, you know, he said, Coach, I got a great plan for the first series of the game. He said, take so-and-so who had a receiver. He said, run him on a go route and just throw the ball as deep as you can. He said, the corners went to chase him. In the very next series, he hustle back to the line of scrimmage, run it again. He said, then put Robert Brooks in on third down and <laughs> let him do it. And uh, he said, I'll bet you it'll be a touchdown. And you know what? I mean, they, the guys really thought it through. Mm-hmm. And we did something similar to that, and we, we scored touchdowns. <laughs> Robert Brooks, what a legend. I guess that was that was obviously pre-Twitter days. That would have been like me tweeting at the coach, basically, yeah, about we, what to do. I didn't even know. I still don't even understand Twitter. But, <laughs> but uh, I, always, I used to tell recruits, I said, I want to talk to you on the phone or I want to talk to you in person. Yeah. I said, if I got to do Twitter and all this, I said, you're the wrong yeah. guy. Do, do you feel like, I'll ask you this, do you feel like that's pivotal now in coaching to do that? Do you, do you think you have to do that? To, I guess Saban doesn't, obviously, but you see more and more coaches and what Shane Beaver's you know, doing on social media. I, I mean, I, and I grew up, I coached with Nick. Yeah. If Nick thought he had to do that, he would have thrown up. <laughs> and, you know, but, but, you know, I mean, the, the, the personal approach matters. And I, I mean, I would tell kids straight up, I said, if I've got to do all this, then I'm recruiting the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you see me Twitter, using Twitter on social media, I said, that's not me. That's my GA doing it <laughs> for me. Right. 
you know, I just, I just, I, I never got believed in that. I, I've never signed a kid because of that. I've yeah. never lost a kid because of that. And the, the kids appreciate it more. I mean, when you call them up and talk to them on the phone, they go by schools and see them, you know, you go to their homes. That's, that's what the kids appreciate more. But again, and every now and then you'll have some, they want to be a Twitter hero and, you know, and want poker chess. I got this many tweets, which I don't even know what a damn tweet is, but, yeah. but they get all that stuff. And, uh, but most of those kids, you'll find out about most of those kids do not pan out. Right. You know, because they need all the attention. Uh, I remember we had one, and uh, this was before, I guess, the Twitter thing. We had a kid when I was at Michigan State named Kelly Baraka, number one running back in the country. He ended up going to, it was us in Michigan. He ended up going to Michigan because all the stuff the fans have been doing, you know, you know this, this, and that. And the kid never played it down and washed out, and he was out of school within a year because he wasn't getting all the attention anymore. And I think mm -hmm. it's probably, if you look at that Prunty kid that was probably here, there was like, and I know his dad, so I mean, that's a whole different story. Right. But, uh, I mean, that guy right there is well, bad news. He tried me, he hates South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, uh, bottom line is, is, you know, I think a lot of those kids, they need that attention, and if they got to have it all the time, and then all of a sudden they don't get it, you know, it's, they, they have problems. Yeah. I mean, you got kids now on social media posting the, and it's a sold separate conversation, but guys posting like my offer list and top 20s and they're recruiting. And it's just like, it's just a lot of it. It feels as so just, it's a production, you know, instead of like trying to actually find the best fit. It's just well, it is, it's all mean, over the top. I mean, JD, when, I mean, JD knew he was coming to South Carolina. And uh, he said, all of a sudden he came out of the blue. He said, I'm going to wait till my birthday, it was on Valentine's Day, to mm -hmm. go ahead and commit and sign. I said, J.D., you've already told us you're coming. He said, I'm coming. He said, but ESPN wants me to wait until my birthday. And, and yeah. I said, this is ridiculous. I said, you don't really believe all this crap's worth anything. He's coasted it. They want me to do that. And of course, I don't know if there's money under the table or what, but <laughs> to do it. But, you know, that's just, you know, that's, that's how stupid it was. Mm -hmm. And so uh, – but yeah, I mean, the kids the kids that need all the attention in recruiting very seldom, if ever, really, really work out. Yeah. You can look at South Carolina. Think of all the kids that have left, mm. quit, transferred, whatever. I mean, a lot of them are the ones that, had, you know, they just needed all that attention. Yeah. And uh, they want it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they don't get it when they get here. And, and it's, you know, it's a problem. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Jadavion Clowney. Of course, I, I want to talk about him and his recruitment. And, of course, you know, just – Humble brag, but when you recruit and sign the greatest recruit ever, I mean, that, that's something to hang your hat on. What was his recruitment like? I mean, we know it was fierce, but I'll tell you, I know 2011, you know, 2010, 2011, Twitter and all that social media hadn't really quite taken off yet, certainly the way it is now. But I don't remember, like, J.D. making a, a big to-do to of it. And it was kind of a – it was pretty a pretty quiet process, yeah. I felt like. J.D., he, he wasn't into recruiting for the most part. I mean, he really – I mean, he was a bashful kid. Right. I mean, and he loved the Gamecocks, man. And uh, I mean, we knew he was coming long before he ever announced it and all that. So, uh, but Ellis Johnson was the main recruiter for Jadevian, and I was kind of the, the secondary guy because I was going to be the guy that coached him. Mm -hmm. And I was recruiting Marcus Lattimore at the time, so I had my plate full mm, right. as far as what was going on right. in South Carolina. And Ellis and I did most of the state. We probably recruited 95% of the kids in the state of South Carolina that came here. And uh, But Ellis was the main guy. In fact, 
there was something came out somewhere in a, in a paper or whatever. And the final meeting we had with uh, Ellis's mom, Jacina, and his granddad, and something came out that somebody else was there or whatever. And Ellis, he, he called me up and said, Brad, he said, who all was in that meeting with us that day? And I said, well, you and I and Jocena and his, grand, you know, his dad and granddad. He said, that's what I thought. And so, but uh, Ellis did a great job keeping us in there. Because, see, as the coordinator, he didn't get a chance to go out a lot. So that was kind of my job to go out and, you know, handle all that. But Ellis was the driving force behind mm -hmm. it. Right. Ron Cooper did a great job of helping get us uh, Holloman. And then Holloman turned. Because he was a Clemson commit, right? What was it? Right. Holloman flipped yeah. him from Clemson, yeah. yeah. And uh, Ron Cooper was a big reason that happened. Mm. But I remember going to Rock Hill and Cooper and I went in there to see uh, Holloman and had our little visit with him. And I could tell he wasn't fired up by Clemson, so we got that kind of flip. Yeah. And then Billy Napier started doing some stuff that was crazy. And, <laughs> and we had an alum that didn't like Napier very good, so he filmed Billy at a ball game doing some stuff that you, you can't do in recruiting right. and sent it to Joe Don or Billy Don, whatever that AD's name was. I don't even know what it Terry was. Don. Terry yeah, Don. Terry Don, yeah. Sent it to him. Well, I mean, it had Billy doing stuff. I mean, he was trying to strong arm the uh, Holland's dad, basically, and, and that was done because I mean, yeah. he had to bug out. And, but uh, Holloman helped us get Gilmore, which helped us get Jadevian. And if, if you, if you want to point at one person responsible for all that, is Ellis Johnson, in yeah. my opinion. And uh, and Ellis had to do a lot of it from the side. A lot of times I was his mouthpiece. Yeah, he was telling me when I would go in there, he said, man, we got to sell this, sell this, sell that. And we were always on the same page. But mm. yeah, he and I did almost all the South Carolina stuff. And uh, I'd been here so long, and Ellis was from Winsboro, and that was kind of you – know, that's the way we were recruited. So I'm curious, what were you guys selling? What were the main selling? I know at that point it was, hey, come here, do things that have never been done. We have Coach Spurrier. But, I mean, what, what were the other major selling points that uh... – The main one was player development. Okay. You know, Ellis and I, we, you know, say, right, here's, here's the guys we've developed over the years. You want to go somewhere and chance your career to play for some guy that's never really developed. Mm. You know, a lot of players or get, go somewhere where you know you're going to get developed. And the other thing that, that happens with that is that so many kids get caught up in the, again, all that, the internet stuff that we were talking about, but JD never did, Lattimore never did, uh, Gilmore never did. In fact, if you see them talk on TV or whatever, nowadays, I mean, they're almost bashful kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, they weren't into that. And their high school coaches had a big play. Now. I mean, Bobby Carroll did a great job. Of handling uh, kids at South Point, and and I, you know, Marcus's, you know, coach he had coaches he had there and Burns. I mean, they were great with him, and and his stepdad Vernon was awesome. You know, keeping him grounded. So uh, yeah, there were a lot of kids, and and I and I tell people one of the reasons this program got turned like it did. We had a great run of players in South Carolina. I mean, a great run. Yeah. And we didn't just get some of them. We got them all. <laughs> we got everything, one of them. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the reasons South Carolina flipped so quick. And, you know, and then all of a sudden Clemson kind of became a non-factor for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, and I don't know what happened. I mean, Ellis left and went to Southern Miss. And went there settled or whatever. And then I left and went to Florida. But, and I don't know what all happened. That's none of my business. I wasn't here then. But, uh 
you know, I catch a lot of grief for a while. I left South Carolina and, you know, go to Florida. I said, shit, they gave me a $100,000 raise. What would you do? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. what would you do? Right. And so, uh, but uh, but I love this this place. Yeah. Gamecock's always been good to me, and I love South Carolina. And, and uh, that's why I live here now. My grandkids, my daughter and her husband and grandkids live here. And, and uh, I think my son one day when he finally gets through coaching, and he's at Alabama right now, but I think when he gets through coaching one day, he'll end up probably coming back here to live. So, yeah, yeah we, we love this area. Yeah, and, and and that's why when people ask, though, I know you're happily retired right now on Lake Murray. That's yeah. When people ask, hey, you think Coach Long can come back and coach defensive line? I'm like, I think he's had his fill. I, I think he's. I, I have, he's, and <laughs> and the thing about it is, is see, I'm sorry, but uh, a lot of the recruiting, the way it's done now, I probably wouldn't be very good at right. because I'd be too blunt with kids. You think that's why Coach Spurrier got out of it because of yeah. the changes in recruiting? It just I, I think I mean, I mean he's I mean he's he he'll be blunt with kids. I've been blunt with kids, and you tell them the truth instead of telling them what they want to hear. Right. And nowadays, a lot of these kids, if you don't tell them what they want to hear all the time, and that's all good and fine, but then when you get them there, and they don't perform, it's because their expectations of your program are so different than what it really is. Hmm. And I go back to the the front of the kid, and I don't even know him. Right. But I know his dad and his dad. See, I was recruiting Lottie Ajibo and Cliff Gathers at Hargrave, and his dad was the head coach there. Really? Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and I went up there, and, and we already had it worked out. Lottie was coming to South Carolina. Hmm. Nobody knew it, but he was coming. And we had it worked out. Cliff Gathers was coming to South Carolina. Nobody knew it, but he was coming. And they had both qualified, so they didn't have to they sign on National Signing Day. And, and uh, they didn't have a signing day. They just had to report to school in January. Right. And so uh, I met Cliff and Lottie up there in the middle of the night in a field in Cliff Gathers dad's van. And we sat up there, and we got everything ironed out. But uh, Robert Prunty had put a thing, this guy can't come here. I mean, he's not, he's not welcome. And I wasn't because I asked him, I said, who, who can I look at on your team? And he wouldn't give me those two names. I said, why won't you give me those names? He said, well, they don't exist to you. And uh, wow. so anyway, I got it done. And then whenever we signed those kids or didn't sign them, they came to school. Because, again, Lottie was going to, was supposed to go to Virginia Tech. Cliff was supposed to go to Georgia. Then uh, Pranny's dad, I mean, I mean, it was like, you are not welcome here. You, can, you cannot come back. It was just fine. I already had the kids. It didn't matter. And uh, – that's why when his son came here and then he left, it didn't surprise me at all because I think the acorn didn't fall very far from the tree. Wow. Well, so you, you talked about we'll, we'll move kind of transition the whole recruiting and winning and recruiting to now and Coach Shane Beamer and what he's doing. And, and, and like you said, it's no secret the reason Sal kind of had the success they did from 10 to 13 and, you know, other teams before that was this, the wins in recruiting in-state. And there was an unprecedented run of athletes um, – in the state of South Carolina. Like you said, you guys got them all. You know, you look ahead to some of these future classes, and I I don't know, Coach, if you've sat down and looked, but, you know, like, for example, the number one prospect in the state of South Carolina, the country for 2024 in the top 100, number one is a quarterback from the state of South Carolina. And I just – Who is that? I'm I'm curious. I I forget his name. Does anybody remember the kid's name? Where is he from? What school? I think the upstate, I want to say. I, I don't keep up with that stuff anymore. 
Well, I was just going to ask I, you about. I, I'll get up in the morning. Yeah. Because we don't have the newspapers like we used to. I read the newspaper on my phone. But uh, I have no idea about all. I don't keep up with all that stuff. Well, I was just going to say winning and recruiting in the state. I mean, obviously, you know your neighbors to the uh, any upstate, what they're doing. But what do Shane Bieber, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, his staff, what do they need to do to – because I feel like what you guys did, you guys made South Carolina the cool place to go. Like, that, that matters to kids, you know, like right. – what, what do you th- – I mean, if you – I don't know if, say, what would you – what advice would you give them is the right word. But you know Shane, and you know he's going to be genuine. I, I feel like he's going to be more on the blunt side. I know he's – I mean, he's – I feel like he's a tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. But, I mean, what would you say, you know, to fans, what do you think they're going to do on the recruiting trail to, to lock down those kids in-state especially? In my opinion, they've got to keep developing players. Mm-hmm. If, they'll, if, they'll, if they'll develop players and take kids that aren't as uh, – you know, good as they're, they're, you know, what everybody thinks they are and make them better, if they'll keep doing that, then uh, they'll start getting more players. I yeah. mean, I, I believe that. You know, the thing that Shane has right now, he's got a, a long hill to climb because of what Dabo's done at Clemson. I mean, my hat's off to Dabo. I mean, he's done a great job. Mm-hmm. I know he has. And, uh, but Shane can get it done. It's just not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And you can never accept losing. You can never accept, you know, playing poorly. But so you keep trying to get better. And then, uh, you know, you just got and then go win some ball games, win some games you're not supposed to win sometimes. But, you know, just as long as he never accepts mediocrity, the losing, whatever, he'll be fine. Mm. And Shane, I mean, he's, he comes in from a coaching background. He's going to do a great job at South Carolina. I really believe that. Mm. The yeah. kid, by the way, it's Jaden Davis out of Catawba Ridge High School in Fort Mill, South Carolina. So okay. that is the kid. Top of the class for 2024. And you just, you just look ahead and you're like, man, that's a, it feels like you need to land a guy like that because you got to solve the quarterback position. I mean, that's, you know, I think of the priority list for Shane Beamer and hitting the home run at quarterback. I feel like that's the, that's the position to recruit. That can change the program if you get that guy right. Well, let me ask you something. I was outside and my wife let me off. I was walking in here. You talking about a court, last quarterback to wear number one? Mm. Was it Anthony Wright? Yeah, it was Anthony Wright. Yeah. I recruited Anthony. <laughs> I was outside. A-1. I was outside that window and I was waving. I was waving at you, and I was going to Anthony Wright. <laughs> oh my bad, I missed and you. He was, he was the player of the year in North Carolina. Yeah. That year. Yeah, it's funny. The best story I've heard about A1 is actually uh, Eric Kimry, of course. You know who Eric is. Right. And he's a friend of mine. I know a friend of yours as well. But Eric told me, you know, he you, you grow up with dreams and aspirations of being a professional football player. And so he gets to South Carolina, though. He told me he walks in, and he sees Anthony Wright throw a football, and he says, maybe I should just be a coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, Anthony had a cannon on yeah. him now. He could, he could spin it with the best of them. Yeah, for sure. Coach Long, we've actually got a question from the audience for you. Um, speaking on recruiting, I know you just kind of sort of just touched on it, but uh, it says, what are three keys for South Carolina to become as successful in recruiting as you were under your tenure? Are there three things you could point out or just a couple of things of what they need to do to become as successful as you guys were when you were here and you know, reeling in those great classes? I think number one, again, you've got to be straight up with kids. Especially now with the internet. I mean, when I first started coaching, you could tell a kid something, and he may never find out the truth, you know, till he got here. I mean, that sounds sad to say, right. but you got to be straight up with kids, you know, and tell them the truth. And then number two, again, develop kids. There, there's there's right. three parts of recruiting. Right. There's the evaluation. There's the recruiting part, 
and then there's the development part. And if you fail any three of those, you're going to end up with a bad team. Mm. And so, but the three things again, be straight up with kids because if you are, you're going to win the you're going to win the high school coaches in the state. Mm. You know, if if you tell a kid something that's not that not going to happen. You know, you're going to lose that coach. Right. You're going to lose that school. Right. You're going to lose it for a long Trust time. Trust is everything out of yeah, matches, sure just like is. anything else. And then, again, developing kids, developing players, and uh, and just, you know, do not discount the state of South Carolina. There's really good players in this state. There always have been. And a lot of times I think some coaches, I don't, I'm not in, you know, kind of said, hey, we're going somewhere else. You've got to go somewhere else because, I mean, we always used to use a five-hour radius, you know, around Columbia. That's our recruiting area. Well, you go five hours away from Columbia, you're going to hit the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Eventually, there aren't any players there. <laughs> so then you've got to push yourself up into North Carolina. You've got, you've got, to, you've got to say North Carolina is like, like South Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's the same state. Yeah. You've you got to look at it that way. You can't, I mean – Look at the players that have come here from the state of North Carolina over the years yeah. that have been great players. I know Farrow Cooper is one of your favorite. We yeah. talked about him before. I recruited yeah. Farrow out of the yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, and in fact, there was a kid on that, on that team that uh, I had committed coming here. And when I left, they backed off of him. And, and bit the Vickers kid, and he went to the name, Kevin Vickers, he went to the name, uh, Tennessee and started like yeah. three years. Yeah, I, that name off. sounds very familiar. Why they back <laughs> off him, I have no idea. But I left and – I don't know if it was out of spite or whatever. Right. But, uh, but there's enough good players in that state that want to play in the SEC. And South Carolina is a great option for them. And uh, it's a great, you know, it's a heck of a dang, you know, environment. I mean, if you can get a kid to come down here and, and go, go to a game in williams Bryce Stadium, I mean, you got, you got a chance to get him. Right. Because, I mean, the environment here, in my opinion, is as good as it gets. Yeah. And, of course, Shane's got that advantage now with us getting past last year. And, you're, you know, we, I mean, we saw it in the month of June. I, again, we talk recruiting, and I guess I had you on a couple months before that. But Shane Beamer in June, 12 commitments. I mean, I don't know if you were keeping an eye on it, but, I mean, have you ever heard of such thing, 12 commits in a month? I mean, they were, they were doing some work on the recruiting trail. I mean, they were killing it. Working hard. Yeah. And I, and I didn't exactly know it was 12 or whatever. But, and, and the other part of it is now – did you make a good evaluation? Because, I mean, anybody can recruit a kid, right. but did you make a good evaluation? Now go develop the kid. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, if you don't develop them, they're just, you know, a can of corn. Right. Where do you think the biggest mistake is made in recruiting? Is, is, it, is it more on the evaluation side, the development side? Where, where's the mistake made more often than not, you think? Evaluation. You know, looking, read, reading all the internet bullshit. I mean, <laughs> where are kids ranked in the top 100 or 200 you know, or 300 I mean, or 400? I don't care what kids rank. Right. Who's ranking them? Right. A lot of times it's a bunch of high school guys that never played football. <laughs> you know, they're ranking a kid. I mean, who's ranking these kids? Right. You know, now, if you tell me that there's a, a panel of coaches, yeah. you know, college football coaches that have been around for a long time, they're ranking them. Yeah, I'll buy into that. But for just to say, uh, and then this thing of if a kid, I had somebody tell me this, he said, it's so unfair that every time we get a kid committed, he drops some points. What are these points? Right. 
I mean, who gives a – Well, my, my buddy, they, they nicknamed it the cock drop. Every time South Carolina gets – you can ask anybody here, anytime we get a big-time commit, he'll fall in the rankings. Every time, it seems like. But who cares? Well, fans no. care. I mean, but who cares? Fans care. The bottom line is, right. are you winning on Saturday? And yeah. I don't know if you've ever followed the stock market, but, <laughs> and I don't much, but I do a little bit. But the deal is to buy low, sell high. Right. You know, I mean, to me, that's that's the guy that's doing a hell of a job, buy low, sell high. And so, I mean, I would – Coach Spurrier now, he was the best at it. Right. He wanted kids to not be ranked high. I mean, he used to tell us, he said, yeah, I said, I, you know, we, get, we may give us one of them five stars. That's fine. He said, I don't want me and them four stars. He said, I want a bunch of them three-star kids. He said, so if you got a kid that everybody's ranking high, I said, do the best you can to get his ranking pulled down. He said, so we don't want all that stuff. And he was right. Right. I mean, who cares? Right. It doesn't matter. And so you would tell the fans, you just you have to trust Shane Beamer and that he is a master talent evaluator and sure. a master talent developer. Like, trust your coach that he's yeah. pulling in the best guys for your he's program. A, he's your head coach. Right. I mean, you hired him to do a job, let right. him do it. But don't, I mean, don't flip out over what a kid's ranked. You know, we're always, I'll give you one right here. And I signed Chris Culliver. Out of Garland, oh, yeah. North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Cully was a three-star recruit. And I knew, I mean, he was a very talented guy. He played in the NFL for a while. But Cully, we were talking one day, and he said, man, he said, I'd love to be one of them four-star recruits. I said, do you really care about that crap? And he said, coach, I'd love to just, yeah. you know. I said, all right, no problem. So about a week, I called a couple of my recruiting guys. I said, I need him to be a four-star recruit. They bumped him up to a four-star recruit. And is that ridiculous or not? Then Kelly says, Coach, I just got moved to four-star. And I went, well, you're welcome. You know, and he <laughs> said, I'd love to be one of them five-star guys. And I said, Kelly, I said, this, this, we get, you got to come to an end with this thing eventually. He said, Coach, I'd love to. And I knew, and I'm trying to get him done. Right, right, right. So I got him bumped up to a five-star. Because I was thinking, wasn't he a five-star prospect? Like, I thought he was. Yeah. I, so I, yeah. I, I got him bumped up to be a five-star. And when he did, he came to me, and he's, I mean, he gave me a big hug. He said, Coach, I appreciate it. Thank you. That's, that's, that's all. <laughs> he told me, he said, you know I'm coming to South Carolina. I said, I know you are. I said, but why was that important to you? He said, I just want to walk around school and just be a five-star for a while. You know I mean? But that's how stupid it is. Right. I mean, it really is. I mean, you look right now, I mean – there's some five stars at Clemson right now that aren't very good players or may not even play. Right. You know, I mean, there's one from Lawrence, and then I, you know, I, I don't know what's happened with that kid. But, I mean, he was all everything, and he don't even play. Right. I mean, this, that's my point is that all this – who's doing the ratings? Yeah. If it's a bunch of coaches that have, you know, you know validity in what they say, that's different. But if you got just a bunch of dang – Jack legs, the spark used to say, a bunch of jack legs that are making these decisions on all this recruiting stuff. They said it don't matter, and it really does. So what Coach Lawing's telling everybody here is, if you're that nine ninety nine, you're spending a month on twenty four seven or rivals. You put that in the big cock club, you get a lot better out of much more out of your investment. Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, no. Speaking on that, well, you talked about earlier. We'll, we'll move off of recruiting. I feel like we could just go on recruiting all day long because it's so fun to pick your brain about it, but. Uh, you talked about something earlier and the letters you guys would get. And I'm curious, again, we're sitting here 10 days from kickoff, and 
the excitement's at a fever pitch. I, I feel like this is as excited as Gamecock fans have been in quite a while. It reminds me, and I saw, I think, Kirk posted, reposted the video, and people posted the first 2001 from the Spurrier era in 05, the UCF game, and people are comparing this summer and this preseason or that preseason. How did you handle ex- fan expectations? Because I, I know you hear it. I, I know you, it doesn't it doesn't bother you in the building. You're just you're doing your job. You're doing your thing. But fan expectations are a real thing. And, and you know, especially in today's day and age of social media, fans can be very very loud with expectations. And, and I, that's what I've been trying to do, honestly, Coach. Going into to kick off and Shane's first season is like you said. You don't want to accept mediocrity, but you just want fans to understand that it's it's going to be a process. He needs time to build. He needs time to recruit and to keep. I think realistic expectations are healthy early in his tenure. But from the coaching side, I mean. Did you got because you know your players are probably listening to it? I mean, how, how did you handle the expectations and all that? Everywhere I was at for the my probably the last twenty years of my career, we had somebody in the athletic program that basically well was almost had a psychology degree and dealt with our players mm-hmm. about the internet mm-hmm. because if they had a, a game where they didn't perform as high, they would get crushed. And these kids would read it, and then, you know, I mean, it affects their psyche. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, they play a decent game, and they think they were all this and that, and it would be on the Internet. And, you know, we've had basically a psychologist most of the places I've been for that dealt with the kids. They would tell us. I know at Florida State, we had a guy. I mean, he'd come tell me every day before practice, before my meetings, he'd say, now, you know, this was said about one of your players, and it was very negative. You need to know about this today, you know, because you're going to have to deal with it today in practice. He may not practice as well. Or this guy, right now, he's getting pumped up to be this or that. I mean, he thinks he's all this, you know. And I mean, that's the damage that is done to these kids. But it's the kids' fault because they listen to it right. and they read it. But that information that's out there, that's the damage that gets done to these kids. And I've always said, I mean, the since all this came about, in fact, I was in – Augusta, 20-some years ago, and I said, and you, you'd have thought I didn't threw a dang bomb at him, but there was a wife of one of the guys out there, she, and she, she said, do y'all, this internet stuff, is, is it good? And I said, I said, really, it does more harm than good. And she punched her husband, and I, I said, I, I know right now where <laughs> something that's coming from. But, you know, uh. again, I go back to it. Anytime you can put information out there or question somebody what somebody's doing and you don't have to put your name on it, mm. you know, whatever, that's not good. Right, right. I mean, you, you know, like I say, most of them, a guy told me, he said, a lot of these guys that are posting, they're either teenagers or high school kids, teenagers, or they're college students, or they're somebody that's not working. Right. Because they got too much <laughs> damn time on their hands. And so – and I'm not sitting here bashing all that stuff, but I right. do know from over the years I've seen a lot of kids really get damaged right. because of you know stuff that's said out there. And it's like Mike Gundy, he said it best. He said, "If you want to criticize somebody, criticize me. You know, I'm a man. Yeah. Don't criticize my players. Right. You know, they're they're kids. You know, they're doing the best they can most of the time. For sure. And yeah. so, and I always just look at you know we're the ones that brought them there. If they don't play good. Don't yeah. criticize the kid. Criticize us as coaches. We brought him here. We haven't developed the kid well enough. 
For sure. C- Coach, before we talk about this year's defensive line, I feel like the people deserve this story. I've had you on the show, and we've talked about, of course, Jadavion Clowney and, and all those guys and, I mean, that gang of pass rushers we have. But we talked specifically about the 2012 Clemson game. That game, this game specifically. But this hit is what's remembered. But also, Jadavion Clowney still holds the record for Memorial Stadium for sacks in a game in that building with four and a half. And listening to you talk about pass rush and the way you position guys and distract, like you never would think there's that much strategy. Because, hey, we just think of playing Madden or NCAA and, hey, it's a cover four or cover three and we're just rushing the ends. But there is a science behind getting your best pass rusher to the quarterback, and you guys, maybe no better night it was ever shown than that night in Clemson. There was, there was a guy that I met back in the late 80s named John Levera, and he was an NFL coach. And he understood pass rush as well as anybody. And uh, I got a chance to visit with him, and he showed me how to break pass rush protection down. And I started doing it from then on. And I did it the rest of my career. And I would always look for how, you know, Maybe where the center's turning, where you know where the backs are set, a lot of different things. You know, it could be based on where the tight end is. But if you break film down enough, you'll find out. There's always something. There's a message there somewhere every time. Mm-hmm. And so, I, what I would do is, is, is that's what I do on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday, I did nothing. I would you know do our film from the past game. We go in there with the head coach and we'd look at the game. Then, boom, the rest of the day, I did nothing but pass rush protection or pass protection. And uh, when I would finish breaking it down, I felt comfortable that I had them. Not leave How many hours we talk in a film you'd watch on like, to get that, the idea of or Pro- pick up those cues, if you will? Probably. And I would always, I always, had, I always had good GAs, and I would teach them how to do it. And so they would give me a head start with some of the – stuff on paper but I do everything by hand so yeah. I didn't do anything by computer or whatever I did everything by hand and tick you know putting tick here tick there that right. you know so it took a long time but I used to get started about two o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday and I'd get through maybe 11 o'clock 12 o'clock at night sometimes <laughs> it was later sometimes it might yeah. be a little bit earlier but I wanted to understand the whole picture that I was seeing and in that year with Clemson I knew where their center was turning based on uh, our front. And I knew they were taking Clowney and making him, you know, I used to call it our spinner. I didn't I used to use Melvin Ingram in that position a lot too. So I knew they were they were going to you know, do it to Clowney. So I just took Clowney and I said, okay, everything I would ask you to do in pass rush, we're going to do the opposite. <laughs> and so their center would set to Clowney and I was bringing a guy away from him and just knocking the crap out of him, like a pick. And Clowney would get engaged in the center, and boom, he'd wrap right around. Right. Then I'd take him on the edge do the same thing with the tackle. And bottom line, he ended up four and a half sacks that night. Which, that's a hell of a game. <laughs> and so, you know, just you have to ID the protection. That's what I call it, ID and the protection. There aren't many people that understand that. I've had Chris Rump came and – Sat down with me for a couple hours trying Great to under, understand. Great Gamecock. Great Gamecock. Chris Chris. Yeah, he was there when I was there. Yeah, when you know when I first was coaching here, and and, uh, and finally after a while, he said, "Coach said that's just too much time." I said, "Well, you want to get there or not? You know, you got to make a decision." And so, anyway, I've, I've tried to teach guys. And there's two or three guys that I've taught over the years that really 
really understood it, and they've all had really or have been really good careers right now. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, it is very time consuming. Mm. But again, I call it ID pass rush or pass protection ID. You know, and I've spoken to a lot of clinics about it, and I try to make it as simple as I can so high school coaches can understand it. And some of them, you know, have had success using yeah. it, but it just takes a lot of time, and a lot of people aren't willing. You know, to dedicate that much time to trying to break something down like that. And, and I was going to say, not everybody has a Jadavion Clowney. So, how, how much different is it in game planning when, you know, we'll say you have a solid D line, but you don't really have that one guy? Because I'd have to imagine it was so interesting going week to week to week. I mean, you, we all knew these offenses are game planning around seven. They're, right. they're game planning around him. I knew that. But, uh, I mean, when I was at Michigan State, I mean, we had 57 sacks. We broke the school record. 57 in a season. Yeah. 57 sacks. When oh, I was my at, at Florida State, we had 51. We led the country in sacks. You guys had what I here? Had 40? 46. That was that. 40, was, okay. That was the, the SEC, led the SEC. Yeah. But, I mean, so I've, I've had and always had clowning. <clears throat> we've done the same kind of thing. Okay. So, you know, it's, it, you know, but when you've got somebody like clowning, a, a special guy like that, you got to use him now. If you don't, you're wasting it. Yeah. I, I call that's part of player development right there. Yeah. You know, don't waste the guy's talent. And JD always bought into it. He he loved getting to the quarterback. Always told me, he said, Coach Ben, I love said, if you can help me get there, I love getting there. I said, I know you do. <laughs> and and he, he he worked hard at it. Yeah. There's a lot that goes in as far as pass rush techniques. There's a lot of techniques that I teach that are related to wrestling. Mm. You know, I I would go to the clinics. And then still I know you were telling me about like pain points and like where yeah. you're putting your elbow and well, everything. There's a thing called an arm drag where, you know, a rip position, a lot of people get in rip positions, they don't know what to do with it. Right. If you will pull on that tricep, if the guy doesn't let you go, you separate his shoulder. And so that's one of my main things I would teach. But the bottom line is I would go listen to wrestling coaches. The wrestling coach at Ohio State one year, I got some good stuff from him. But when I go to clinics, those are the guys I go listen to mm. because they, they were – you tell me what sport there is that's better at engagement and disengagement than a wrestling coach. <laughs> they're the best. Mm. And so I said, they're the best. I want to go learn and find mm. out and see how I, I can transfer this over to football. Yeah. And that's what, what I did. Yeah. Now, I, I know I'm keeping you up here a while, Coach. Oh, there's you're so you're many fine. good stories. My but... wife's out there riding around. <laughs> She's shopping well, I... All you're doing right now is yeah. saving me on my MasterCard. That's it. That's it. No, I, hey. I'm going to call her when we're through. Hey, well, then I don't feel bad like, at all. She's, no, probably, the, she's, uh, probably, she's probably 10 miles from me right now, getting as far away as she can so she can spend whatever she can spend. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talked about what you look for in recruiting, and the story, though, that jumps out to me is the one you told about, what was it, Chaz Sutton when he came and it was he was kind of a mild manner, or was it somebody else? Mild oh, manner kid, no, and you Devin, wanted to – Devin Taylor. Devin Taylor, okay. And we're, think, we're talking a massive human being. This is a – I mean, we watched him on the field. It's a monster. But this Devin, Devin was 6'7", 215 pounds coming out of high school. He ended up playing at like 265, you yeah. know, 270. He's really lean, but Devin was so mild-mannered. Mm. And I use the word demeanor. Mm. That's really big for me whenever I evaluate kids. What is their demeanor like? Because you can look like a football player, but if you don't have the right demeanor, you're not going to play like one. You know, I mean, that's like going to a bar fight and, and all of a sudden you look around behind you and where'd my buddy at, you know? <laughs> you know, he, he's supposed to be helping me, but he's not helping me. It's what, anyway, Devin was so mild-mannered and 
and uh, in fact, Shane was recruiting Shane Beamer, and I told Shane, I said, I need him in camp for one session. And his mama, Sylvia, was the sweetest lady there is. And so, uh, anyway, he came to camp. We got out there on the field. We got through the morning session. And I said, Devin, come on out here. This is you and me. And Sylvia was there, too. We were in the stadium. And I put my hands on Devin like a pass, uh, like a pass protector. I said, Devin, I want you to give me your best pass rush move. And, uh, I, and I said, whatever it is, your best pass rush move. Well, I hauled off, and I punched him right in the chest as hard as I could. And when I did, he attacked me. Eyes went red. I mean, he attacked me. And Sylvia's over there going, oh, oh. <laughs> and, and when we got through, I mean, he about beat the hell out of me. <laughs> but when we got through, I, I looked at Sylvia. I said, he's got a scholarship South Carolina. I said, that's all I need to see. Right. I said, I didn't question his athleticism. I just didn't know what, what kind of kid he was. Mm. That's all I need to see. He's fine. He was all SEC as a sophomore. Had a heck of a career. Yeah, dude, he was incredible. Everybody thinks of Clowney, but those other guys on the defensive line, including him. You, you put those on, on, the, on separate ends. Yeah. You're talking about 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, seven, six, on both ends. <laughs> Travion Robertson, 6'5", inside. Lottie Adjabo, Cliff Matthews. And it goes on and on and on. You know, Chaz Sutton. I mean, there was – Tons of them. Aldrich Fordham, another yeah, guy. Aldrich Fordham yeah. was a – I mean, you talk about an evaluation now. Yeah. I mean, nobody wanted Aldrich. He's yeah. down there in Timberland. He's 6'2", 6'2 and a half, and, you know, about 260 pounds. But what great hips as far as being able to attack blocks. I loved Aldrich. Well, he's yeah. one of my favorite players and, you know, was a heck of a player for the Gamecocks. Well, we made a hell of an evaluation and then we developed the kid. And, uh, and I'm not, you know – patting us on the back when I say it, but, I mean, we did. That's the bottom line. I mean, proof's in the pudding. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And you talked about Beamer while you were at South Carolina. I'm curious. I'm sure everybody's curious to hear. What, what was Coach Beamer like? You worked with him, obviously, you know, every single year he was here. And, of course, when, when you were here, he was just a young buck, just coaching special teams. And, but he had a major hand in recruiting a lot of those great players. He did. And uh, he was in charge of it, and uh, which means, you know, I mean, the administrative part, he did a lot of that. And uh, Shane was really learning back then. And I remember when he got there, in fact, you talk about pass uh, ID protection. Mm. He had been at Mississippi State. Mm. We had beat them, what, 12 nothing, 16 nothing, whatever. Yeah, you know, 2006 first, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I told him when he got there, I said, here's what we're going to do pass rush-wise. <laughs> and I said, and those outside backers are going to be a part of it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, based on where that center is or where that back is, then I know where your center's turning. He said, get out of here. I said, yeah. I said, I said like y'all at Mississippi State last year, I had y'all dialed in. That's why we shut you out. He said, what do you mean? I said, I knew wherever the back was that your center was working the opposite way. And he got to thinking about because he coached the backs. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> I said, y'all were doing it. I said, that's, I figured that out on that Sunday. And I said, that's why y'all couldn't do anything past the game. Yeah. I said, we were all over you. And, and, but he, he, he was, that time, four time, he was learning. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't know if Coach Beamer would like that story or not. <laughs> no, he, he, he knows because, I mean, I, yeah. I, I never tell it to him. Yeah. But he was learning everything that was going on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he was really good at, you know, trying to uh, be a good student of the game. And, I mean, he was there in the same meeting room with Els Johnson, 
experienced coach, mm-hmm. Ron Cooper, experienced coach, myself, experienced coach. So, I mean, he knew you know, if I was just saying, listen, I'm going to learn a lot of football, yeah. and he did. Mm-hmm. And that's my hats off to him. And I, that's, why, that's why I think he's going to be such a really good coach, you know, with the South Carolina head coach because Shane knows he doesn't know everything. Mm-hmm. He knows he's humble. He knows there's plenty of things out there to learn. And I and that's why I think I mean he's gonna do a great job here. I mean, because he's he's good with kids. I mean, that's uh I've said I've I've listened to him on television a couple times. I mean, he is he is really good. Yeah. And it's just the people here that's gotta you nobody wants to be patient. I understand that. Like I say, you don't want to accept mediocrity, but you've got to be realistic to understand where he's at. Yeah. I mean, the the hand that he's been handed. I don't know because I haven't been around long enough to under, you know, know everything. I, I went out last spring and watched them, and they've got some good players at positions. But yeah. you're not talking about. I mean, it's, you know, go look at all the SEC team right yeah. now. I mean, it's, they're, they're one first teamer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So four total. You had one first teamer. I, I actually mentioned on the show today. I mean, it's like you want to get to where Georgia is. They had 11 guys on that team. So yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's what you got to get to. You know, and that's where we were. Bama had 15. So I mean, it's, you know. And that's where we were, yeah. you know, when I left here. Yeah. You know, when we were here with Coach Furrier, we, that's, that's what we had. Yeah. And that's why we won all those ball games. Yeah, for sure. Coach, before we get you out here again, we're talking D-line. You were out there this past spring. It's, it's ironic, again, where you're up here. And the Gamecocks defensive line, I would say, this season is probably the strength of the football team. Certainly it's the strength of the defense. And, you know, I feel like as you move back on this defense that, you know, back on the levels, if you will, then the linebacker and the secondary, the questions start to really pop up, especially in that secondary. But from what you've seen from the defensive line, I mean, obviously, J.J. Nagbari is a guy who, who I've seen some first-round projections, definitely at least second round. Jordan Birch, I know we talked about a lot. Alex Huntley, uh, Tonka Hemingway, Jabari Ellis. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of these guys, and you feel like that D-line should be a strength. Guys, you've seen on that D-line that you like, like their game overall and what you'd expect from that, that group. So I went out in the spring and watched them, and uh... – there's some talent there. There's some guys that are going to continue to develop big time. Uh, the one that I'm most familiar with is Zach Pickens. Yeah, Pickens, yep. Well, Zach was coming to Florida State. That was a done deal. He'll really? Tell, he'll tell you tomorrow. I mean, he, that's, <laughs> this is where, I mean, he said, Coach, have you still been there? I, I said, I was, that's where I was coming. Yeah. So I know. He, he and his mom came down to, and visited us in the Tallahassee. And I said, here's going to be the thing to tell the tape. If you come to Tallahassee and visit, and nobody from the internet finds out about it, then I know you're being straight up and you're coming. None of you guys found out about it. Nobody ever knew he came down there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so and, the, and he told me he said, "Coach, that's where I was going." I felt he was going to be an outstanding player. Yeah. Uh, the other kids I watched in spring, the Birch kid, I think has got tremendous talent. Yeah. He's just got a. I mean, I've heard he's a – you know, I, I got a buddy that works at Georgia, and he's told me, Chris, if, if he's not a first-rounder, y'all messed up. Like, he's got that type of upside. Right. It's, it's called development. Right. Called development, yes. You know, you got to develop kids. Yeah. And, and you got to get it – you got to get it out of them, whether it's ability, whether it's that demeanor. Again, you can't coach a football player like you coach a piano player. <laughs> I learned that a long time ago. Right. I mean, you got to coach football players with, you know – if you coach, if you coach defensive lineman with your thumb stuck up your ass, that's how they're gonna play on them Saturday. <laughs> right. I mean, you got to be all over. I mean, that's just right. the bottom line. That's how you coach those guys. Hmm. Uh, there's nothing nice about it. Hmm. And uh, there's a lot of coaches out there. I know when I left here, I, I think that's what happened to JD. Hmm. 
he got coached really nice, you know. At the NFL level, you're saying? No, I'm talking about when, he, when I or, was there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. When, when uh, DK, because I know they, they, they ain't going to yell at the kid. And so, uh, you know, but that's what's – Right. And I'm not bashing. I mean, that's just the way it is. Right. And uh, you, know, you, you, can't, you can't coach kids like that. You've got to coach them hard. And that's what the, the good players, they want to be coached hard. And the guy they got now, the line coach, I've met him. He's a great guy. I think he'll do an outstanding job. Mm. You know, but he's just got to remember, you just got to coach them kids hard. You can't be nice to those kids up front on defense. Same ones on offense. Yeah. You can't be nice to them. You know, when you're coaching a lineman, you got to understand, football is the only sport in the world where the object is not to get the ball, but to get the man that's got the ball. <laughs> And that's what makes it different. Right. You know, and unless you have that type of attitude, unless you've been trained to react like that, then you can't excel in this game. Yeah. For sure. Coach, this has been an honor. <laughs> this has been a pleasure. I'm fired up. I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. I, I, I appreciate you taking the time. It, it's always a, uh, a pleasure to chat with you. And like I said, just 10 days away from kickoff now. I know we're all excited. Not, not Watch not just the defensive line, but obviously Shane Beamer, Coach Beamer in his first season. And, uh, you know, again, patience. Obviously, let's shame him building recruiting. I think if we do that, we're all going to be very, very happy with the uh, with the end result. So, right. appreciate you taking the time, Coach. Nice Always a pleasure. Hope that's you right. enjoy the uh, the Swearinger piece. I Put this that. in the man cave, that's obviously. That's You've never seen my man cave? Before. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't I've, seen I've, it. I've need to make way to the lake. It's, so. yeah, it's, it's 40 years <laughs> worth of stuff, pictures and all that. That one right there is going right in it tonight. I love it. Coach Lowing. Give it up for Coach Brad Lowing. That was incredible. <laughs> appreciate you, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you can stick around if you want. You don't have to go shopping with the wife if you don't want to. It's whatever. I don't mind. We're just going to chill, take some questions, whatever it might be. I, that was incredible. I don't know how you follow that up for the last 45 minutes or so. Always a phenomenal time, Coach. Seriously, thank you. Well, thank I, you so I, much. And again, uh, I love anytime it involves the Gamecocks. I'm all for doing it. You know, and then I, I love this program. Yeah. I, love the, I love Columbia, whole area through here. So uh, we felt like we had a home run when we finally moved here. 30-some years ago. So. Yeah. Anyway. Coach Brad Long. Right, go. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, the, the question was about because I haven't had to deal with players that are getting paid. The NIL, yeah. That's completely a falsehood, okay? I've had to deal with players getting paid my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is. There it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah. I'll promise you yeah. that. <laughs> and I, in fact, I used to have a little saying, you know, I said, sometimes you got to go see a man about a man. <laughs> so, oh God. so yeah i've had to deal with that for a long now was it legal no but uh i've had to deal with it i i your question is really valid because there can be jealousies that pop up in there and so that's that's a different deal that's a different deal but uh i, and I don't know how that's gonna work because yeah. i and i and i've thought about it a little bit but yeah, I just, in fact, I, I'm almost glad they're doing it now because, I mean, you talk about stressed. You go into a home, and then the kids, you know, we're getting this, we're getting that. And you're going, oh, my God, you know, 
and then here I am, I'm, and I got to get this player. How am I going to get him? And so, <laughs> if you if you want to read something that's really, it's a pretty good read. When I was at Michigan State, I got involved in a deal in Memphis, Tennessee, with Albert Means. He was the number one player in the country. He was a he was a 260-pound linebacker. It was going to be a defensive end. And uh, ended up going to Alabama. He ended up costing a couple coaches at Alabama their jobs. But his high school coach was selling him. And I wouldn't buy it. I wouldn't get into it. In fact, he, he, he offered me the deal, and I said, is anybody in on this thing? And he said, yeah, there are. He said, I said, who? He said, well, if you don't get in it, he said, you'll find out on National Signing Day. Well, I didn't. Well, the, that coach never gave all the money he got to the kid. And it was at Tresma High School. The coach's name was Lynn Lane. But he never gave all the, the money to the kid and his mom. So they got pissed, turned him in to the police. Because, I mean, you're talking about tax evasion all kinds of stuff. And so the kids, I mean, they were all upset about it with, because of what I had heard with the conversation that got out there. I got a letter from, i never forget, Suzanne Nash and the FBI called me while I was in East Lansing. She said, we need you to come to Memphis and testify to the grand jury. And I did. And uh, <laughs> then I went to the University of North Carolina. And when all that came out in the media, I had to explain to the chancellor of North Carolina why I was speaking to the damn grand jury. And because uh, I'd done nothing. I was a witness. I'd done nothing. And then... Uh, then whenever they prosecuted him, the, the high school coach, I had to go back to the to the trial, and all of a sudden he pled out guilty and it's done. Then there's a guy named Logan Young. I'm throwing some names out there. If you'll Google them up, this is a damn hell of a story now. <laughs> but Logan Young, his dad was Bear Bryant's best friend. He bought all them kids in Memphis. And Logan was the one that was handing up all the money. Well, Logan ended up, you know, he was guilty. Whatever they, they got all that stuff. So I go speak speak at his, his trial, and I was what they call a rebuttal witness, which means I can just say yes or no. That's it. And uh, anybody here that's an attorney, you might be an attorney. You, you know what I'm talking about. And so they said, "Did this happen? This happened? Yes." So I walked out of the courtroom, and somebody asked me, said, what was it like? I said, said y'all remember Perry Mason? I said, that's what it was like, you know, except it was in color instead of black and white. All you older guys, y'all remember Perry Mason? We used to watch that as kids. And I pointed over to some of you guys, I know y'all remember. But so bottom line is, all this happens, he gets declared guilty. Well, about they're getting ready to sentence him, Logan, in the summer. Well, when they got ready to sentence him, all of a sudden Logan got mur murdered. And one day he was murdered, and the next day he had fallen down the stairs and cut himself and bled to death. So he went from being murdered to bled to death, which means that somebody else was involved in this deal. Because he was getting ready to then, you know, plea, plea, turn evidence, you know, to save his own, own ass. Well, I started getting these phone calls for two or three years, these hang-up calls, and I got them for a long time. And I started putting them little coins on my damn 
the top of my car and you know marking my tires and stuff. I mean, I mean, it, it scared the hell out of me. But if you want a heck of a story, you know, just read the thing about Albert Means and Logan Young. You know, I was involved in that and by total accident. Did nothing wrong. So, uh, and that was the, the SEC can get kind of nasty from time to time. Uh, but I promise you. So that's just Coach. What percentage of kids in a recruiting class is there a deal being cut for? You think out of all, like if there's 25 signed, what you talking about the way it used to be? Sure. I mean, sure. nowadays there nowadays there's a deal cut all the time because of the new rules. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, the games change with NIL, but I'll, yeah. So I'll, back in the old day, yeah, the I'll, old days. I don't want to say, say that, probably, but back in the day, I'd say probably half. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's just a, that's a lot. That's just the way it was. That's why I ain't got no hair left, okay? <laughs> I Woo! I mean, that's just the way it was. A couple know? Hollingsworth checks were cut back in the day. That's what I'm hearing. I, mean, I tell yeah. people. A couple Hollingsworth checks. I mean, back, back, it, was, yeah. it was the Wild West back then. That's what it was. Yeah. It was the Wild West. And, uh, I mean, that's, I mean there's, there's ways you, back then you could uh, give a kid a car. It was legal. All you had to do was have his – Parents, one of his parents become a car dealer and tell him to go up here to the, the state auction, go buy him a couple cars at a discount rate because this might work at the state auction. You know, sold him a couple, you know, twenty dollars $25,000 cars for about $100 a piece. It's legal. <laughs> and he sets them out in front of his house. Kid drives one, mom drives one, he drives one, maybe granddad drives a car. You know, nothing wrong with that. And they're gonna sell these. They're gonna sell these cars to somebody to buy them, but nobody ever comes by and offers enough money to buy one. You know, and they got cars, and then all of a sudden you look around, and uh, kid graduates, he's gone. All of a sudden the cars disappear. You know, you know, it's just it's what it was. It's just the way it was. I think you ought to write a book, Coach. I, I'd read it. I'd read it. So. Incredible stuff. Again, Coach Brad Lawing, give him a round of applause. Incredible. This is incredible. Incredible. Always a legendary and, conversation. And I, can only, and I can only say this stuff because I'm retired. Right. Now. Yes. Yeah. That's why I asked. I was like, you're out of the game, so it's all good. You, you can look back and sort of laugh on it. I would so. be an AD's worth not. Worth not. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we need you on staff so you can, like, you know, it's like you hire a computer hacker to stop the hackers. Like, we'll – yeah. So – we want to dance around anything. We'll have Coach Brad Long do it. So, uh, Coach, again, good. yeah, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Again, Coach Brad Long. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, awesome stuff. Awesome. Stuff. Yeah, like I said, Kirk, I think Kirk said, you want, to, you want me to show you how big of a Gamecock fan I am? Let me let write a check real quick. Here we go. How much do you need? Oh, was this on the radio? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach, you know I put it out everywhere, man. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I don't think you said anything too incriminating. I think we're fine. Yeah, exactly. You're retired. You're retired. And he's not coming back into the game. So, happily retired on Lake Murray. So.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.